Welcome to the Commander-in-Chief Podcast. I'm Yuri Kruman, founder and CEO of Commander-in-Chief Media Group, award-winning chief people officer and keynote speaker, author of five books, Fortune 500 consultant and corporate trainer, and contributor to Fast Company, Forbes, Entrepreneur, and Newsweek. Our mission at Commander-in-Chief Media is to help 100 million people around the world in the next 10 years to do their life's best work in the here and now through storytelling, educational media, thought leadership, HR consulting, corporate training, coaching, speaking, and authentic high-quality writing, helping people become their own Commanders-in-Chief. Now, if you're interested in being a guest on the Commander-in-Chief podcast, stick around until the end of the show. We will share with you what we're looking for and how to apply. Hey, everybody, this is Yuri Kruman, the host of the Commander-in-Chief podcast. I'm very excited to introduce Phil Blows, the CEO of Accru. This is our first guest in the fintech space. So I'm excited to go a little bit deeper than just kind of the surface conversation around uh, crypto and, you know, what crypto bros do and asset classes and all that stuff. I want to get into also the personal story. But first, Phil, please give us an introduction. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got here. Thanks, Yuri. Great to be here, and uh, thank thanks for inviting me on. Um, yeah, so so my background has been I've, I've always worked in finance, and I'm kind of I don't know. I think I I think I started very young. I remember like um, reading um, reading newspapers when I was kind of a kid, looking at finance jobs when I was probably under ten years old, which um, is incredibly sad. But um, interesting, you know. I think um, I think my parents thought there was something a little bit broken with their child when they saw that, but. Um, yeah, so having worked in finance first of my career, um, you know, I, I founded a company called Accrue back in January of last uh, last year, and um, yeah, we've been on a bit of a rocket ship. We kind of raised eleven million pounds last year. We've signed up just under twenty thousand customers. We went public on, in the UK, so we've got a listed company now there. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, it was it was a bit of a a bit of a crazy journey that we've been on the last eighteen months, but. Um, yeah, you know, I, I live in the UK. I've got a, um, a loving wife and a three-year-old um, boy and a, a one-year-old girl who keep me incredibly busy. And um, you know, it's been it's been good sort of starting a starting a business whilst kind of raising kids around me as well. So it's it's always a nice. Um, I don't know. It's been it's been a good. I don't know. It's 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 been surprisingly fun mixing kind of um, you know startup life and and family life for the last couple of years. So, um, yeah, that, that's me. That's great. Uh, tell us a little bit more about Accrue. What, what do you guys actually do? Because again, it's, it's maybe not the most typical angle. It's not a platform. It's not, you know, it, tell us sort of the, the greater sophistication of what you're trying to do. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really interesting. So most people think, if you think of cryptocurrency, you think of probably, you know, buy and you buy buy the, the latest coin and it will go up 10 times and you're going to be a millionaire overnight all those sorts of things and you know my experience that. that's just not it's not how it works mm -hmm. so um what we've really tried to do is create a more professional kind of crypto investor by by tilting the balance in the favor of our customers so we have an app on android and uh, and an apple where where you can download and all you do there is you can either deposit existing crypto holdings or sort of normal currency and then really a very limited selection. So Bitcoin, Ethereum, and what's called stable coins. And stable coins are US dollar backed crypto, which means they just, they're not very volatile. They just track, track the, the price of the dollar. 
And what we do, mm. we encourage people to hold those investments for the long term by paying them very, very high levels of interest on it. So with us, you'll earn 7% if you if you hold Bitcoin and Ethereum with us. If it's stable coin, you'll pay, we'll pay 12%. So increasingly what we're finding is customers are, you know, they're move, we're trying to move people out of that kind of trader, you know, mad kind of, um, you know, investment mindset to more of like a long-term portfolio. It's like, how do you manage, how, how would a professional manage their, their crypto portfolio? And, um, you know, I think I'm quite, quite passionate about that because my career has always been about trying to help people improve their overall, you know, financial resilience, financial health. So the idea of like building just one of these trading platforms, which there's loads of them out there. They make their money as you're buying and selling loads of cryptocurrency that, you know, they're encouraging you to trade and invariably lose that, that, you know, people lose money doing that. So, you know, I'm, I'm pretty proud to say that, you know, although the crypto market hasn't performed so well this year, you know, in the long term, I think our strategy is really going to, you know, create long-term wealth for our consumer, our customers. And, uh, you know, that, that's been a really important angle. So, um, yeah, it's a really simple place. Earn the highest yields on your um, on, on your crypto or buy crypto and hold it for the long term and, and make sure you're earning the best interest around in crypto. Okay, so forgive me if I sound like a broken record. Uh, I'm sure you get this question as, as your number one in your FAQ, but how, do you, how can you guarantee 12%? I mean, that's, that's, that's a pretty serious return. Yeah, so it's, I mean, th there's two questions we always get. And from everyone, it's like, you know, how do you generate the yield and what are the risks? And, you know, mm -hmm. that's, that's smart questions. So that's, that's why, that's why we hear them. Um, so in terms of how we generate the yield, um, the, the way that, you know, if you think about how traditional finance works, if you deposit money into your bank, that bank will go away and they will lend that money to, you know, big infrastructure projects, to hedge funds, to, you know, people wanting to buy a house and then you know, have a mortgage, that sort of thing. Um, mm -hmm. Crypto is kind of no different. So, you know, people will deposit money onto the platform and then we will use peer-to-peer -peer lending platforms to lend that money mm -hmm. to institutions, to other retail investors, typically ones who are looking to, um, you know, leverage their positions that they've got in the market or, or yep. what's called go short um, on certain stocks. Yeah, anyone who's got a very capital intensive business who works in crypto and maybe can't access traditional banks, yeah, that, that's the, that's, those are the people we lend, lend to. So because of the fact they can't access the traditional markets and the fact that these, you know, these coins are in demand because the kind of strategies they, they use in crypto are generating even higher returns than, than 12 percent. Yeah, that's why they're willing to pay such, such, such um, you know, um, some such high sort of interest rates to borrow capital. And, um, you know, all we're doing as a business is. You know, going out to as many of these canopies as we can to build a really nicely diversified portfolio of these opportunities that you know is is very very closely risk managed um, to balance risk and reward, and and you know that that's something the team has been doing successfully for for over three years. Terrific. So let's let's go a little bit deeper into this landscape. Um, again, I'm I'm not exactly the world's uh, most knowledgeable person about this, but I'm I'm sincerely curious. So. Um, again, a lot of buzzwords floating around. There's decentralized finance. You know, there's uh, I don't know. In almost in any asset class, you have, you know, shorts and and all kinds of financial instruments that twist what this really is. So, okay, let's say everything goes exactly as you want, as your team has planned out for three to five years. Let's yeah. say beyond five uh, up to ten years. What what is kind of what is your vision? What do you think is going to happen beyond that? I mean, if you if you're going really into the long term, like um, you know, into say let's say really long term, ten years, say, 
mm-hmm. you know, one thing we, one thing you, you, people look at crypto as the coins and really the, the coins are kind of a byproduct of the underlying technology. The underlying mm-hmm. technology has huge positive, could have a huge positive impact on how we move value around the world. You know, at the moment, it's really moving crypto. That's the main thing it's doing, but it could right. move anything. It could move identity. You know, it could help you verify your identity. It could move, you know, the, the rights to music. It could do, you know, do almost anything. And I mean, if, as, as an example right now, if I was to send, you know, money from the UK where I'm based to say America, you know, there is generally, it will go through what's called the SWIFT system. Mm-hmm. And that is a, that money can take, you know, go through two or three banks and it can take three to five days, you know, which is, mm-hmm. which is crazy in that, in that three to five days, all the value of that cash is kind of lost, you know, and if you think about how many or how much capital is currently out there, you know, in that three to five day cycle, if you could compress that to, you know, five minutes, which is what blockchain technology does. If I want to send someone a billion dollars of Bitcoin, it would cost me, you know, less than $5 and take five minutes. And, you know, if you think about that, it's just, and that, that kind of releases a lot of capital into the system yep. and it makes markets so much more efficient. So mm-hmm. yeah, I, I hope looking forward that, you know, a crew can play a part in sort of spreading and, you know, connecting traditional finance with the world of crypto and decentralized finance. And, you know, you're going to see that it's going to improve payment infrastructure. It's going to, going to help sort of improve you know, the ownership rights that people have of, on, you know, it's going to help improve like collateralization of certain assets without getting too technical. Um, you know, there's, there's huge amounts of sort of additional kind of benefits that crypto, just the technology itself can, can help. And then, you know, really going, looking at the, the crypto element itself, you, know, you can, you know, that there's been this big move. This obviously inflation is begin, beginning to return to financial markets, which is something that yep. we haven't seen since the financial crisis in 2008. And, um, you know, I think a lot of people are looking for an inflation hedge. So I think what you're going to find is cryptocurrency goes from being this speculative asset to being on a par with stocks and bonds. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you're, you're not going to be, when you speak to your financial advisor, it's not going to be, oh, you know, I'm going to build you a portfolio in stocks and bonds going to be you know i'm going to build your portfolio of stocks bonds and digital assets and you know we we look at it that the best performing asset class of the last 10 years which is which is kind of crypto generally has been you know, the majority of investors just haven't been exposed to it they've been sitting in bonds that have been effectively earning negative yields and um, equities have done all right but kind of artificially because you know there's been all this government kind of um supporting the markets so yep. i think you know longer term we could see we could see just crypto just permeating like every aspect of, of society. Okay, so let's let's dig a little bit further because I'm, I'm just trying to understand the landscape a little bit better. So you're you're connecting the worlds of traditional finance, meaning institutional investors with let's say people that are underbanked or you know they don't qualify for credit or whatever other uh, financial services from you know the, the main players, the banks and and so on. Okay, so let's let's look over the last. I don't know, half a decade, maybe a little bit more that, you know, cryptos around kind of developed into something much more than just a niche, much more than just sort of, you know, the two Winklevoss uh, brothers uh, and the, that whole story. So let's say that, okay, it's it's clear by this point, regardless of what Jamie Dimon, let's say, uh, has said in the past, right, is, is first uh, he dismissed it. He said, this is garbage. This is, this is just nonsense. 
Um, and then clearly now you have large portfolios within bulge bracket banks that are investing in crypto and all of these related assets. So we're, we're past the point where crypto is just kind of a, a niche interest. It's something that, um, you know, it, it, it's not just sort of something to ignore or, or to tamp down. It's here to stay, as far as we know. We also know that, um, okay, my, my, my first question, let's just try to understand this better. So if, if we're looking at traditional finance, large financial services firms that are now building up large portfolios of crypto and, and these other related assets, are we not in danger in some ways of those very same traditional large financial institutions accumulating very large reserves of crypto assets, right? And then using the leverage of those large portfolios to wreak all sorts of havoc into this relatively new market? I think there's probably a, there probably is a risk of that. Yeah. You know, there is all the money sits with institutions still, but also, I mean, there, I think this is an area that, you know, does need addressing is that, you know, crypto as it stands is quite, it's, it's not that evenly distributed. You know, there's a lot of big, there's, there's concentrations of holders already in it. So, you know, mm -hmm. there's been a lot of people who've made a huge amount of money in the space, but, you know, there's still, it's not kind of like a, you know, a libertarian nirvana where everyone owns the same amount of it. You know, there are still the, the early adopters who made huge amounts. You know, you mentioned the Winklevoss twins who bought a ton of it very early, mm -hmm. you know, which was a uh, great foresight. Um, but, you know, yeah. it means that there's Bitcoin, they own a lot of Bitcoin. Um, so I think, you know, increasingly you will see institutions come in the space. I think what you'll probably find, though, is they are the, the way that institutions will engage in the space is they'll try to securitize crypto a little bit more. So they'll probably be less likely to um, to have these like really direct holdings in it. You know, where mm -hmm. where where banks will try and make their money and, and typically do is by you know creating structured products around crypto and, you know, looking at kind of um you know, speaking with their customers who tend to be institutions, pension funds, these sorts of things that have liabilities, which probably tend to be things like, you know, long-term yield, needing to provide long-term yield. And they'll, they'll probably mm -hmm. look at structured products that use crypto um, to, to, to provide and, and sell, sell them to those sort of same counterparties. That, that'll probably be one of the first steps that, that they come to. Um, and we're already seeing it with some mid-tier banks, you know, there's, you know, half a billion dollars of, um, of kind of Bitcoin structured product sales that go through one bank that we know and, you know, things like that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think, I think the institutions will come in and they will very much change the market landscape. But I think, you know, for the everyday holder of crypto, you know, the more usage it has, I think, you know, the more, you know, I guess almost the more press you're going to hear, the more, the, you know, the more, I guess more it's validated by big banks. I think that, you know, there's only one of the interesting things with with crypto is in some cases like Bitcoin, there's only, you know, there's only, only ever going to be 21 million Bitcoin and there's right. 19 million have been, you know, mined already. So mm -hmm. there's only kind of, you know, that 2 million left. And, you know, so we, I mean, you know, and that's neither here nor there because, you know, I've only got, you know, five pieces of paper on my desk, but that doesn't mean they're worth billions of dollars, right? Um, right. You know, so we know at least we know what the supply side of the of the equation looks like if price is kind of, you know, demand and supply. Um, so it's really just looking at, de at demand. And if institutions come into the space and there is a fixed supply and there is, you know, there is a lot of demand, which we're already seeing from, from institutions already. 
Yep. That's going to be a huge catalyst for price appreciation, at least. Um, you know, that and regulation, I think, are the two going to be two of the most bullish sort of like scenarios. And we're we're seeing institutions move in. So, I mean, I'm I'm not I'm not particularly concerned that institutional involvement is going to break the market. I think it will change it, and it will certainly mm -hmm. probably add more liquidity, more interest, that sort of thing. Exactly. Um, yep. Great. Um, one last question, just to kind of define the landscape. So again, I'm 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 a relative newbie at this stuff. There are people that are dramatically more sophisticated at this. But one thing that is just obvious, you know, I read the news and I see there's uh, some crypto scam, right? There's some kind of wallet that was emptied. I have a well, one of my dearest friends. He's worked in this space for a relatively long time, given how long this space has been around. And He's built platforms uh, from Latin America now from Israel as well. And uh, he's, I mean, he's seen some, the kinds of stories he tells, God bless him. Like, I don't know, some guy in the, I don't know, Dominican Republic uh, got scammed. Uh, I don't know what the hell he's funneling in, into crypto. <laughs> There's some really shady stuff out there, right? So yeah. it's it's not just about, it's not just a concern about, let's say, money laundering. That's That's not really... I mean, I'm sure it's interesting for law enforcement, not not so much for me. So my, my question is like this. I'm just, again, I'm a very simple investor, right? And I decide, okay, you know what? I'm going to put some part of my portfolio into crypto. I'm really concerned. Again, I read the news. Uh, I, I, I don't know that much about, let's see, the difference between, you know, this stable coin or this Dodge coin or hell knows what, right? Yeah. I just want to know that my stuff is secure. One of the things I, I found just looking through... Uh, your website um, is you provide insurance. So what, what does that mean in practical terms? What does that insurance mean? So maybe just reverse slightly. So Jamie, there's with, with crypto, what's quite interesting is you, you have a, um, you have two ways of holding your assets. You can either, you know, with a bank, you know, you don't, you don't hold your money. Your bank looks after your money for you. It's sitting in a bank, mm -hmm. right? And yep. you, know, you don't have custody of your assets unless you're holding it in cash. Um, right. And, you know, that's either you either believe in that model or you don't. And it's the same in crypto. So you, you can either, you know, accrue is what's called a centralized exchange. You know, we're authorized mm -hmm. to hold digital assets um, by a, you know, a regulatory body. And, um, you know, we, we when, when someone deposits assets onto the platform, we're taking custody of them and we're protecting them. Um, the, I mean, the other, the other route is non-custodial, which means most people are familiar with what's called a company called MetaMask or Consensus, which, which, which founded MetaMask. It's one of yep. these, it's the most commonly used, um, you know, browser-based kind of crypto wallets. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, when people are on kind of YouTube and they're looking at getting into DeFi directly themselves, yeah, you know, that'll be the first thing they do. They'll download a MetaMask wallet. And, you know, you get your own kind of seed phrase, which, you know, which is usually like 15 words or so. And, you know, you've got to remember them if you forget them and you can't log in, your crypto's gone forever. Um, but, you know, when it comes to that, like, non-custodial model or you're custing your assets with one of these browser-based wallets you know the whole impetus is on you to protect those assets so if someone hacks your computer they can and they're, they're able to gain access to your wallet they're gone you know if you connect that wallet yourself to a DeFi project that's malicious and can empty your wallet again they are gone you know and there's all these things you can do so for the yeah for the for the security savvy investor who wants to take custody of their own assets you know they know and it gets quite complicated you use things like what's called hardware wallets to protect the assets in your digital wallet you know mm -hmm. there are lots of different steps you can do and you know make sure you're not connecting them to any nefarious protocols you know but 
generally like the majority of hacks happen from self custody self custody and it's um mm -hmm. and this has been a bit of a contentious point goes back to kind of the founding of crypto which is where you know it's all about you taking ownership you know separating your money from state you know there's no canopies involved it's all decent all the you know all the good stuff that you want from crypto but you know, most people are just not set up to be able to custody their own assets. They don't know how to make it safe, you know, for, whatever, for lots of reasons. And, um, you know, so that's why we are a, you know, we are a custodian ourselves. And when we talk about that insurance policy, we, the tech that's built, you know, anyone who transfers sort of digital assets to us, we create a wallet on the platform for them. And we use a company called Fireblocks. You know, they're, um, an Israeli kind of unicorn that have been incredibly successful in the space. They've done $2 trillion worth of, of digital asset transfers. You know, they've got a, you know, they've, they've got a tried and tested, um, um, like platform, which, you know, most of any banks in the space are using any big institutions are. And you yep. know, to the extent where, you know, they've given such a, such a, a strong, um, you know, operational model and, you know, that they have insurers willing to insure against hacking. So if someone mm -hmm. get, somehow hacked one of the wallets on our, platform um you know it's insured for 30 million dollars so you know as long, as long as we have more than 30 million dollars in that in in that wallet then you know they are safe and they're insured which again is something you don't get with a with your own custody so it's kind of it's a decision for for the for the you know we we would say that a you know a, a novice or an amateur user who you know doesn't want loads of hassle you know go with a centralized exchange that pays high yields you know and you're gonna yeah. you're gonna outperform the majority of people who are you know, running around the market, you know, self-custying and trying to do their, you know, trying to go mad with um, with whatever the latest fad is. Very interesting. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for the the breakdown. I think a lot of people may not understand this kind of this libertarian uh, ideology that, yes, it's, it's you know, all mine. And yes, but what do you know about, you know, making sure it's uh, custody properly and secure? So I, I think... Yeah. I think this is a very good uh, kind of case study in what happens when you go really toward the ideal and then <laughs> reality checking you back to the ground. Yeah. Great. Let's let's go back to your story. I really I really like this idea that um, you know very early on something drew you to finance. I, I don't think there's any problem. I mean, I, I I can very well understand. You know, as a coach, that's partly what I dig through with my clients. Right. What are your founding stories? So. A lot of the time, people that go into finance, and again, I'm not here to paint uh, anything with any color. I'm just curious. I think a lot of people end up in finance uh, partly because maybe they grew up with not much, and you know they want to empower not just themselves through whatever business they're building, but also others that may not have access to banking, may not have access to financial savvy or literacy, you know, to to have that. Whether you know they're growing up and they're they should be learning this, right? Suddenly now in the United States, for example, there's a move by several states. Uh, you probably saw this news item. Uh, the governor of Florida signed uh, legislation saying that schools now have to provide financial literacy education. And this has come out in the last few weeks. Uh, you know, a couple of three states are doing this. I think it's phenomenal, long overdue. Yeah. I think for this conversation, um, one of the things I'm, I'm really interested to touch upon you're not only an entrepreneur, you've also written a book about financial literacy, which is which is quite amazing. Let's let's talk a little bit about that. What led you to write the book? Well, um I had a I had a four year experience with a with a with a fintech where we were running around the UK kind of speaking to people. Um we're basically building tech that help people better manage their money. 
you know, it was pretty, mm-hmm. pretty basic stuff, but essentially, you know, go through a short, short survey and, um, you know, give you some hints and tips around how to reduce debt, how to save better and where to invest, these sorts of things. So effectively what's called a robo advisor. Um, yeah. And we sold that through the workplace, you know, because we mentioned before the call that you obviously, you know, that financial well-being and, you know, financial stress is a big part of yep. kind of poor performance at work. And so obviously when we Maybe went to biggest. HR team and said, look, you know, mm-hmm. we've got a tool here which can help your workforce, um, you, know, um, in, you know, hopefully just get their finances in, in, in better shape. And then we can give you the mm-hmm. data on what it looks like and how it improves over time, you know, which is can help you with your kind of, um, you know, your pay, your pay strategy and things like that, remuneration strategy. Yep. So I did that for four years, selling that through HR teams, but it meant probably speaking to around about 10,000 people over four years and, you know, taking them through this tool and just, you know, learning, chatting to them about, you know, the money generally. And, you know, it was a really, um, you know, sobering experience because most people get to the end of every month, they've got nothing left in the bank. They've spent it all, you know, on stuff that they don't need. Um, you know, and, you know, some people obviously, are, you know, they, they, they aren't earning enough and their outgoings are just too high. The basic outgoings are just too high and it's, you know, it's a nasty yep. situation to be in. But the idea of the book was just to sort of try and address or put some sort of framework around, you know, what should we just be doing as a basic for the basics? You know, there's kind of three sides of the money triangle as it's called. And it's, you know, it's, ba- it's talking about how, you know, how you spend, you know, and, um, you know, how you earn, but also how you save, you know, sort of the three. So mm-hmm. it's spending, earning and saving kind of three sides. And, yep. you know, earning is obviously looking at just, you know, talking a lot, a lot around how, analyzing people's spending behavior. The fact that the majority of kind of regular bills, no one checks up or sort of beats up their providers. You can cut huge amounts out there. And then, you know, when people are saving, they're putting it into often into cash-based products that just aren't performing, you know, and, Yep. And you know, passive passive index trackers and now increasingly crypto are providing, you know, as long as you're a long-term investor, are providing the kind of, you know, the kind of growth over the long term that you need to sort of outperform inflation and, and improve longer term finances. And the the final step was around kind of, you know, what you earn. And um, I mean, this this was an interesting kind of finding from the experience where loads of people were running side hustles. And what but most of them are running a very unsuccessful time consuming side hustles, you know, which mm-hmm. if they broke down what they were actually earning from that side hustle into kind of a, an hourly wage, it kind of yep. wasn't worth it at all. And um, so what, what I, you know, what the suggestion in the book there is, is sort of advice around, look, unless you're like the highest paid person in your individual position at a company, that should be your primary focus, you know, get yourself to the point where you are like the superstar at your job. And, you know, that, you know, there's, there's obviously ways that you can do that, you know, through, you know, whatever it is um, in, in the workplace. And it's only, only then when you are the highest, you know, cause that's it. That's the lowest hanging fruit for additional income that people can make. Only when you then from there, like say, okay, you either leave and go on to somewhere else where you think you can earn more money. But if, if that's not an option, it's like, okay, well then look at a side hustle. And, you know, and then yep. here's some options as to some low hanging fruit side hustles that you might want to consider and, you know, trying to blend kind of work and side hustles, which I think is something that often the most successful side hustles I've seen have been ones where they kind of complement the day job, you know, like, yeah, uh, exactly. You know, mm-hmm. I had a, I had a friend who, who, you know, he was a salesperson who sold to, um, sold to bars and, you know, alcohol to bars and clubs. And, um, 
it just so happened that he you know he saw that the you know the barman at the um at the places he was selling to were always looking for kind of like interesting glasses to make sort of cocktails in so yeah. you know and given that he had all the relationships with all of these bar stuff all around london he was like well you know i'm just going to have a catalog of kind of you know 20 different glasses that are really cool and so when i sell them but you know they buy a specific alcohol and say well what cocktail are you going to make with it well i'm going to make this and then it's, he says well this is the perfect glass for it and you know yep. there's your side hustle and um <laughs> you know smart stuff like that which people i think you know can 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 hopefully learn and, and you know try to try to you know i guess humanize it by writing about lots of different stories that people have like you know walmart employees that have become millionaires through just their you know stock option program um mm-hmm. things like that so yeah it was a it was a bit of and it was it was quite interesting because i i was sort of hopefully i was a big one about um time saving and not wasting time on things like social media and stuff like that and yep. um you know what i so as opposed to i used to get get a train into london quite a bit which is like a 40 minute journey both you know there and back so i wrote the book almost exclusively on the train um you know mm. trying to say what is my productive time um, you know, trying to make that time productive when most people are sort of there watching Netflix. You know, we wrote a book that now is, you know, sales help financial education charities. You know, so Maybe. some good came out of my commute. You know, so it was, that was, um, yeah, it was good. It was it was good fun. Great. I love this kind of story, right? Because the, I think that's what really gets people. It's not, you know, tips and tricks and, and something very complex. I think it's a good time to kind of tease something out from what you said. So a lot of listeners might be a little bit younger earlier in their career. You know, there's so much hype, whether it's social media in the news. Uh, okay, you know, your side hustle, it, it could, you know, save humanity. It doesn't need to save humanity, right? It could be just something very, very simple that you're good at and something that you can monetize by just being helpful to people, adding a lot of value. And making sure that people feel this massive value by maybe not charging them nearly as much. So it could be something as simple as, you know, helping people save time, save money, you know, create delight, what have you, right? So the story you mentioned, I think, is is quite paradigmatic, right? If you're selling alcohol, sell the glasses. It's 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 a very logical something that goes hand in hand. So yeah. one of one of the things that I'm I'm seeing um, again we're, we have a bit of a gap between when you were ten and, and looking at uh, jobs and financial services and you're writing a book and then you're starting a, uh, this this awesome company um, help us connect the dots a little bit more what are some of the other sort of moments in your life where you kind of felt something calling you I don't know if this grew out of a side hustle or mm, just curious I, there's always something I had some. I, can't, I guess I always, I always say I kind of had my, my career expectations got damaged at a very early age. So, um, mm-hmm. like I was, <clears throat> I actually went to university and did, did geology in the end after having like, you know, um, mm. I, just, I love the idea of being outside for my whole career. So my whole, my whole university. That. So, um, did that, but then immediately went into finance when I left, when I left university, but, um, mm-hmm. very early on, it was only about a, like 18 months having left university. I was, um, I was kind of in this sales role within a on a trading desk where I was sort of selling investment solutions to people. And, you know, mm-hmm. I'd been I, it just fit. And you know, I loved it. And, you know, I was top performing salesperson and that kind of stuff. And then, you know, I was I was probably what was I, 21. And, um, you know, I worked hard. I was first in, last out and worked really hard. And, you know, obviously, you know, upon, and because I was getting results, you know, obviously management thought pretty highly of me. 
And then yeah. my, my boss's boss left. And in very short order, my boss left. Mm. And so they were like, we need someone to run this sort of 30 person, multi-million pound business. Mm -hmm. And um, there was, you know, I was like the last man standing. So they said, well, do you want to run it? Mm -hmm. And um, so I ran this kind of um, this trading desk for, you know, when I was only really sort of probably like 18 months into my career. Wow. And um, it was like, you know, so I guess you know, that came with, you know, quite a lot of money. It came with, you know, a lot of responsibility and, sure. you know, all of a sudden the idea of going back to anything that wasn't at that level, you know, it was just ridiculous. So it kind of very quickly, I kind of, um, you know, I, 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 you know, I think I thought of myself as being, you know, being a boss, being a manager and not being a graduate or whatever, you know, mm -hmm. this is, because, you know, I, I was in that job for, for that specific job for a year. And, it, you know, we kind of tripled the business and, um, you know, it was going really well. But then we ran mm -hmm. into trouble because the parent group then got into trouble and we had to move the whole business to another company, which was much bigger than the previous company. So then I was running kind of the same thing, but a bigger company. Mm -hmm. um, and that and so I was, yeah, I just got given a lot of, a lot of early kind of responsibility, which I think, you know, which I loved. And I think you get a bit addicted to, um, you know, and so I kind of did that for, for well, like five years. And, mm -hmm. um, and then, then I was, um, you know, we was running into the financial crisis, which actually was quite good for the trading desk because, you know, a lot of volatility in the markets and things like that. Um, yep. But came back again to like the, the main shareholder of the business was uncomfortable with our business, with our business because there was risk involved in it. Yep. So effectively shut us down. And um, yeah, then I moved moved abroad. So I wanted to get a bit more exposure and ended up living in Switzerland for six years, um, hmm. doing um, you know doing what's called interdealer broking, which was which was fun, kind of real old school, kind of you know being the middleman between investment banks and things like that. And it was um, yeah, that was a bit of a back. You know, that was all about thinking on your feet and being sharp and sort of understanding kind of numbers and and stuff like that. And it was I really really enjoyed it. And um, you know. When when things get things get pretty heated in in that environment, you know, and it's it's but everyone's sort of friends at the end of the day. But you know, there's examples where you know we're throwing phones at each other and stuff like that. You know, it's all all a bit kind of you know boisterous at times. But um, you know, it's kind of coming from from coming from a you know being a rugby player it was kind of an environment I quite enjoyed. Um, but it was um, I think all of that stuff was just yeah i think I, I was always trying to find something you know try and be in a position where i'm not the smartest person around i'm surrounded by really clever people who i can learn a lot from and you know and backing it all up by just always reading a ton of stuff i mean i've always mm -hmm. been loved reading and you know again loving read love reading stuff in finance and um so you know i've got yeah, quite a lot. Of, so, you know, over that, by being a generalist, by being a manager throughout my early career and sort of my middle of my career, and then backing it up with a lot of research and learning, yep. I was just able to, I guess, you know, build quite a decent knowledge base to be able to know how to run a business and know a lot about finance outside of what I necessarily had, you know, direct experience in. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, younger people, I always say you should you know, be a generalist. If you find your you know, early, early days, you find your get really getting really specialized unless you want to be a lawyer or a doctor or whatever it is um, right, right. you know try and be a generalist because that that's like you know what if you know every early business builder needs to be able to do everything so if that's where you want to go then make sure you're you know you've worked at small companies and you've been a generalist 
for a significant part of your career. That's great advice, Phil. Some some very, very interesting nuggets. I just want to kind of tease them out a little bit. So number one, one's career path doesn't need to follow something traditional. It, meaning, you know, we're, we're taught from a very early age, you know, you want to control the vertical. What we're mentioning here is pretty much the, the opposite, right? We're saying that, okay, if you have a chance to do horizontal integration, which is all, you know, that's my focus. That's how I see my role in life, more strategic, right? Go, go and do that. Maybe you're going to do something that you're, com you're feeling completely out of depth, right? But you have to go and do it because that's the only way that you can grow greater value. You can understand things better. You have to go, yes, both deeper, but also wider. And that means you have to be constantly intellectually curious. Yes, absolutely. You have to, you know, Speaking of geology, right? I think well, I, I like to I like to connect things. Hopefully, it's not a spurious connection. So, talking about geology, right? It's it's you have to understand the structure of what's under the Earth, right? And that's mm -hmm. that's not nearly always that simple because the Earth has different densities. There's, you know, um, let's say this kind of stone or that kind of stone. So it's 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 very complicated sometimes. You have to be willing to take some risks to go into certain caves where you don't know if it's stable or not, right? So because you have to create a foundation. What's under the surface of whatever market you're in or whatever industry or whatever trend, right? So to me, that's one thing I see. The other part you mentioned is sports, right? It's it's actually terribly typical for people that play sports, um, you know, in college even before and to end up in finance, but not only in finance and other very competitive industries. So again, if if you if you want to go far, it, it, it's not going to be in a straight line, that's for sure. You're going to get a chance sooner or later, whether it drops in your lap or whether you create that chance, it's much better to actually create it, to, to go deeper, number one. So the deeper you go, just understand all the complexities, who's involved, what are the networks, map everything you can. Then you can re-merge above Earth, if you will, and then you can say, hey, you know what? I've, I've made some headway, maybe 80% to understand this. Now I can see a way to offer massive value to people that are missing something. And that something is not something, you know, Nobel Prize worthy necessarily. It's probably saving people time, money, creating delight, bundling something, creating a marketplace or platform, right? So a lot of these things, if you diagram the journeys of the, some of the most successful founders, they didn't start with something completely revolutionary. You don't need to. Usually you have to start small, small incremental improvement, and you go from there. So thank you for sharing with that, uh, sharing that with us. Uh, one last question I'd love to ask you. Same question I ask um, all of our guests. Again, this this is based on four conversations that I believe all of us should be having. And this is part of a larger scheme, really life philosophy. So I would love to hear what you can share with us around any of those four conversations, meaning with one's body, in one's mind, around mental models and life skills, of course, dealing with other people, whether that's people management or something else and anything higher level, a conversation with God or the universe? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I think it, I've always had it in my head that, you know, there's, you know, probably the most important thing to anyone should be their health. Um, you know, and because, you know, without your health, you're not a good partner, you're not a good father, mm -hmm. you're certainly not an employee. Um, you know, and then sort of the next thing down for me is then it's about, you know, the relationships that you have. So my, you know, relationship, with my wife is the most important thing in the world. The relationship, with my kids is going to be, you know, as, as they develop is going to continue to be important. 
-hmm. and you know i need that stability and that foundation to then again be a good employee so it's kind of like i was introduced to the concept of the corporate athlete quite early um you know my, my father worked for a, a big company that seemed to be quite forward looking to you know to, to talk about that where it's all about you know managing almost managing employees like you know professional sports team you know make sure that they've got they you know they're healthy that they're happy and you know that they're you know because that's the only way you, you know and generally sort of the rest kind of as long as you're giving them interesting work the rest kind of takes care of itself a little bit um so i think um yeah those those are the really important things you know for me and i think when it comes to sort of you know the higher power of everything and you know sort of spirituality that side of things it's for me it's very much about kind of appreciation and it's something that i've always been yeah you know, i think a lot of competitive founders you know aren't good at is you know the fact that i my my um, my objectives where a crew gets to we are you know we are just starting you know we're going to be a we're going to be a billion dollar company in you know next 18 months i think good willing okay and um you know so but it's very in it so it's almost like look we need to get there you know that's all i care about but it's not you know we've got to have there's loads and hundreds of little wins on the way and sort of being mm -hmm. appreciative of that is so important because otherwise you're going to you're going to drive your everyone around you nuts if you're just thinking about this long-term picture you're not going to be happy until you get there yeah so it's you know it's it's enjoying the journey and being grateful for the journey massively um because that is so important. And, you know, I think that's something that I'm, I'm constantly, you know, reminding myself of and need to work on because, you know, I'm always, you know, we do something massive then I'm like, okay, great. Now what, you know, and it's like, well, you know, yeah. wait, wait a minute and, you know, appreciate what you've just done and the, the efforts of the team and these sorts of things. And, you know, before you go tearing off after the next thing, you know, a pre, you know, sort of, you know, I don't know, reflect on the universe and where you're at and that sort of thing and sort of, you know, appreciate the journey because, you know, a month, I don't know, we're, we're back in January of 2021, the, the business we're in now was a PowerPoint deck, you know, and now it's 40 people with, you know, tens of millions of dollars and, and 20,000 customers. So it's kind of like, um, you know, and I've, it's, it's weird. It didn't, you know, I, I still didn't appreciate enough on the journey. I don't think, you know, I should write more down because, Yep. You know, I think that's so important. That's a great message, Phil. It's uh, it's very important, and I think many founders they they sort of they forget they forget all the steps, and then uh, they they pay attention only when someone flashes it in front of them. So I think it's very important to take note of the steps, whether you journal or you do something else. One other point I just want to leave uh, listeners with. In uh, in the book, I create this very conscious image, right? So we're going from the very foundation, exactly what you said, health. Number two is mental models, life skills, dealing with other people. And then that capstone. So you're at the top of the mountain, right? Now you kind of have this amazing visibility down below. It doesn't mean that you've made it. It's not kumbaya. Now you're a perfect being very far from it. All it means is that you know the points of the, of the journey. You know where to check in with yourself along the way. And that's not a yearly process. It's not your performance review once a year. We know those are useless. It's not a once a quarter thing or even a monthly or a weekly thing. It's every day. You have to check in every single day with yourself. And it's not just relying on your memory. You have to write it down somewhere. You have to make a note. I don't know. You keep a journal. It's very, very important. My wife has a, a journal that looks back exactly a year. It goes, I think, four years at a time. 
and you, you go through that journal four times and you see what you were doing on that day a year ago. That's, mm. that's both an incredible exercise in gratitude, but also kind of brings you back to earth. Like, wow. That's cool. So yeah, thank that. you very, very much for sharing your wisdom with us, sharing your journey and uh, also about your work and about uh, the landscape. Um, it's really been a pleasure to have you, Phil. Thank you Thanks very much. Thanks so much, Jerry. It's been, it has been a pleasure. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to Commander-in-Chief Podcast. To apply to be a guest on the show, head on over to cicmediagroup.com backslash guest. CIC is in Commander-in-Chief. So that's cicmediagroup.com backslash guest. These guys, help us spread the word about the podcast and our mission on social media. We're cooking up something truly special over here, and we really need your help to spread the message. The reviews especially are huge for helping us grow and get the golden nuggets of wisdom from our world-class guests out into the world. Go on ahead, give us a review or rating on whichever platform you use to listen. Our mission at Commander Chief Media is to help 100 million people around the world in the next 10 years to do their life's best work in the here and now through storytelling, educational media, thought leadership, consulting, corporate training, coaching, speaking and authentic high-quality writing, helping people to become their own Commanders-in-Chief. And before you go, please make sure to hit that subscribe button for us here at the Commander-in-Chief Podcast so that you can be the first to know when new episodes drop. Let's not be strangers, friend, okay? Please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, wherever you hang out. And of course, if you want to learn more about our work and impact, or just access some great content. Yeah, plenty of that. Head on over to cicmediagroup.com. That's uh, CIC as in Commander-in-Chief, mediagroup.com. Once more, this is Yuri Kruman, and thanks for listening.